Welcome to the Keos Podcast, a series dedicated to bringing you the best claims and legal insight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. My name's Rob Smith, and I'm a partner here at Keos, and I'm delighted to be joined today by two colleagues, Rebecca Gargan and Oliver Bingle, both associates in the Keos Disease team. And we're here today to discuss our recent experiences of remote hearings, which uh, I think it's fair to say 12 months ago, none of us could have imagined would be the subject of a a podcast. But here we are uh, a year later, during which time the embracing of of technology has has revolutionised the court process, which um, but for the pandemic, it's, it's hard to imagine would have happened or or certainly would have happened at, at such a pace, but but here we are. Um, for my part, I attended and, and gave evidence at my first remote trial back in May last year, so not very long into the first lockdown. It was our council's first experience of a video hearing, and I think it was only the judge's second or, or, or third remote trial, so it was a, a new experience for, for all of us, for, for all concerned. but. Uh, I think it, it went fairly well. The, the technology worked well, and despite my concerns as to how it would go, things did run pretty pretty smoothly, uh, both from a both from a tech point of view, but also in the delivery of the evidence by the by the parties. Uh, and we won as well, which which might influence my recollection of of what I thought was a, a broadly positive experience. Rebecca, I know you've had a remote trial. How did you find it and what were the the positives and and the negatives for you? So my experience was slightly different. Mine was only in in February. So the courts, judges, counsel and even the experts were a bit more used to it from when you had your first one at the beginning of the first lockdown. I think that the key with remote trials, which is the same with any sort of trial, um, is is for the is the, for the preparation. We as lawyers must ensure that that we're ahead of the game. A remote trial will not, and and it shouldn't be automatically ordered, and it won't be appropriate in some claims such as fraud claims. So we've got to ensure that our witnesses and counsel are on board and they have capability to attend a remote trial. We've got to ensure they've got good Wi-Fi. So we've all been in a, a Teams meeting where someone's dropping in and out and it's it's a bit irritating. The judge isn't going to like that and it's not going to come across well for our case. So if if they haven't got the good Wi-Fi and they've not got the capability, for example, to turn the mic on and off when they're asked by the judge, when they're not given their evidence, then it's not going to assist our case. And we've got to question whether a remote trial is appropriate. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know some of these things were flagged in in last year's civil justice report on the impact of of COVID and and the survey of of, of court users' experiences of of remote hearings. In fact, I I think nearly, if I remember correctly, I think nearly half of the respondents reported some kind of technical difficulties, which uh, personally I I found uh, quite quite surprising, certainly a high percentage. But that survey was based on remote hearings that took place during lockdown one, Um, you know, back in, in March, April last year. And I, w- I would certainly hope that uh, the, the situation has improved somewhat, uh, you know, 12 months later. You'd, you'd hope so. But when I spoke to a council ahead of my hearing, um, 
and actually during the the initial start of our hearing um our counsel said that there'd been technical issues on all of his trials so in my case the claimant solicitors hadn't given the correct contact details for their expert witness which the claimant's counsel then had to resolve as his instructing solicitor hadn't attended the hearing which I thought was a little bit odd but we've got to make make sure we as lawyers should still be in attendance as as my experience demonstrates we've got to ensure we've got the correct contact details and that these are communicated to the court it could be said that that these are basics and from our point of view we would say they are basics but others obviously don't consider they are Um, but it shows that preparation is key We've also got to be mindful of the extent of the bundle and that it's properly prepared. For example, in my claim, which was a Manchester County Court claim, a moat trial was ordered, but the bundle was limited to 250 pages. In some cases, that's just not going to work. wasn't an issue in my case, as we'd admit a breach of duty. Um, and it was a case of one medical expert against the other and who was going to be pre- preferred. And it wasn't document heavy. But it wouldn't be appropriate in other cases where you've got a lot of documents. Yeah, I suppose it depends upon the the, the type of claim, really, and uh, and the court, I suppose, as well. Uh, I remember uh, I read recently about a, I think it was a commercial case where there were about twenty five thousand pages of, of documents in the bundle, but you know, nevertheless, that didn't seem to uh, discourage the judge from from listing it for a for a remote trial for a, a five day hearing. Um, so. Even in those sorts of cases, the courts are willing to to list things remotely to uh, to, to get get these cases moving and keep the list moving. Yeah, I read about that. I found it quite surprising because that's a lot of pages to be dealing with remotely. But I think you're right. I think it will depend upon the type of case and issues involved. Another point that I should make, really, which was quite important to my case, um, and again, it's about preparation, is is the tri bundle. So my case was a hand-arm vibration syndrome case, which in the past has been called a vibration white finger claim. Photographs of the claimant's blanching attacks were key to the case, and the claimant's listers filed a black and white bundle, which obviously was was slightly irritating because I'd emphasised the importance of colour copies needing to be included in the bundle. Because we'd sorted out the bundle early, it was resolved, but we've got to ensure the bundle is correct as as we're not in a position which we would be in in open court to hand over documentation like we used to being able to do. One final point that I'd like to raise um, in respect to, again, the preparation point is that it was really helpful to have a WhatsApp group set up between ourselves, counsel and the witnesses. So that, for example, the day before the trial that we received an invite from the court to attend so I was able to contact them on the WhatsApp group and say have you received the invite if not I could be in contact with the court and say look we've got a bit of an issue here and also we could then have communication during the trial so obviously we're used to being able to to pass things to counsel ask questions of our expert witness um, which we're not able to do on a remote trial but we can do via the WhatsApp group so so that was really helpful. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we keep talking about it, don't we? But I, I think preparation is is definitely the the key. I mean, the case that, that I had um, at the start of lockdown, I remember counsel prepared a, a very detailed skeleton argument and a, and a very detailed closing submissions document. And 
certainly the latter found favour with the judge because I remember he, he referenced part of it in his judgment. So it definitely had the desired effect. So being well prepared is important, but, but even more so when you're dealing remotely, I'd, I'd say, um, because submissions are inevitably going to be received differently remotely compared to how they would be received in person. And cross-examination is going to be affected by the fact that individuals aren't, aren't there in person as well to, to, to be cross-examined and to, to be challenged. Um, obviously, counsel will do his best to challenge the witness remotely, but uh, there's nothing better than, than actually um, having your witness there in the, in the box and, and being able to see their reactions in, in person. Which, uh, which brings me to what I wanted to uh, ask you, Oliver, about, because I know, Oliver, you've been involved in a, a lot of cases where fundamental dishonesty has been suspected or, or there's been fraud indicators. And I wonder how remote hearings might affect those sorts of cases and, and how you go about running them. Yeah, well, the obvious risk is that it's difficult to ensure that witnesses aren't being prompted or coached whilst they're giving evidence. So one of my supervisees recently had an issue at a remote trial. Um, I think it was a preliminary limitation case and the claimant kept looking off to the right and delaying when he was giving responses. Uh, we were quite lucky in that our barrister wasn't shy in raising the issue and he pointed this out to the judge who then asked the witness to pick up his laptop and show the camera around the room. It transpired there was someone in the room with the claimant who'd been helping him with his answers. So the judge made the helper leave the room. Cross-examination restarted. The claimant quickly conceded the data knowledge and we went on and won the trial. Oh, right. That's interesting. I mean, you'd hope these issues would be would be picked up and it's, it sounds certainly like they, they were picked up in the case you, you mentioned there. But the risk, I suppose, moving forward is that the more savvy claimants, uh, you know, get better at, at hiding this kind of coaching if indeed it, you know, it does go on. Yes, I agree. Um, and I think for that reason, we need to be really alert to the issue. If there is an actual pleading of fraud or fundamental dishonesty, then I wouldn't anticipate having too much difficulty in persuading the court that a face-to-face -face trial is necessary. I think judges are typically alert to these risks. The problems are going to come on those cases where whilst you've got concerns about the veracity of the claim above the normal evidential issues, there just isn't enough to plead dishonesty. Uh, the key is being vigilant and watching the cross-examination carefully. Look out for any signs that someone could be being directed. And if you think there's an issue, get counsel to raise it. It's also something we can keep data on and see if particular firms are operating questionable practices. I suppose the other issue is there have been reports of less respect being paid to judges. Um, a remote trial will inevitably feel less formal than the wigs and capes and pageantry of a courtroom. Um, in the case I mentioned before, actually, the, the claimant said to the judge, you ask a lot of questions, don't you? I mean, I just can't imagine the same comment being made in person. I agree. In my claim, the, the claimant looked at his phone during cross-examination to enable him to answer a question about the date of the, the photos that were taken of his hands. You, you just wouldn't get that in open court. In my case, it actually didn't matter as it, it assisted us in showing that the claimant had no idea when his the, the photos of his hands were taken because the date in his witness statement, the date that he told the medical expert and the date on his phone were different, but that it just wouldn't happen. 
Yeah, I agree. And there's there's issues for all con- all concerned in this as well. Um, the remote trials aren't easy for the judges either. There's evidence from the Civil Justice Council that judges find them more tiring, for example. And you've picked up on this already, Rebecca, but poor preparation is a really big issue and you can expect judges to come down hard on sloppy work. Uh, my team recently had a trial vacated because the claimant solicitor hadn't sent a copy of the trial bundle to the witness. So that kind of issue can be overcome fairly easily, easily at a face-to-face trial. I mean, the number of times I've had to donate the copy of my trial bundle to a witness but it's just not possible remotely the judge was not a happy bunny and i think we got wasted costs on that one well yeah i, I suspect many of these issues i would hope many of these issues will, will be ironed out uh, over time I, I certainly wouldn't expect studies now to report the, the same kind of issues uh, as were reported at, at the start of uh, lockdown when these tri- remote trials first began and i would hope uh, or anticipate that we're that there would be a much better overall impression from from court users um, now that uh, now that people are getting used to to remote hearings. But w- one thing that struck me from the early data is, is contrary to, to to what I'd assumed, remote trials were not reported as always being cheaper, which I'd assumed that, that, that they would be. But which I suppose comes back to the point that we we keep re- reiterating about the need for for full preparation. But that preparation comes at a cost inevitably. I think the uh, Civil Justice Council report said that nearly half of cases that are heard remotely were, were not, in fact, any any cheaper to run, which, which I find uh, find surprising. And foiled the, um, the the Federation of Insurance Lawyers have I know recently raised similar concerns about the presumption that remote trials are cheaper, simply because there's there's no clear evidence of that at the moment. Um, and all these things must be must be balanced, of course, with wider issues about access to justice and whether remote trials help or hinder access to justice. I mean, in the current climate, of course, we don't really have much choice but to proceed remotely. It was certainly in the vast majority of cases, but that's not a situation that, that's going to last forever. And turn turn to you, Rebecca, again. I wonder what your thoughts are, are on that. Uh, are remote trials likely to remain as we move into a, a, a post-COVID world? And, and if so, what challenges do you think this might pose in a wider context? I think that remote trials are here to stay. There, I think there will be further studies undertaken to attempt to understand the positives and drawbacks of remote trials. Uh, I know in my case, we had to write to the court to advise why we consider a remote trial was appropriate. But there are situations where it's just not going to be appropriate, such as vulnerable individuals or litigants in person who will need more in-person guidance and assistance to guide them through the process. But There's no reason why, for example, in the run of the mill case, they should not be ordered as standard, for example, quantum only cases. I know in my case, it was a causation and quantum claim and it worked well once the initial technology issues were resolved. I suppose the issue will be the extent of court time, which is wasted due to technical issues and whether this can be ironed out. We as lawyers have to be alive to the courts, potentially ordering a remote trial as standard. If we consider it's not appropriate, then we should be raising it as an early, at an early stage in our directions questionnaire so we can't later be criticised. If a remote, remote trial is then ordered without reference to the parties and we consider it's not appropriate, then we should be making an application to the court to set the order aside to protect our client's position. 
I, I think one of the other things we'll see is different regions developing different approaches. So, for example, we've already seen that the Northeast circuits appear to be listing remote trials as a matter of course. Um, the more knowledge we can collate on these patterns, the better. We've done this before with other things. So, for example, we know Newcastle Court Circuit will always list a preliminary limitation trial on noise cases if it's pleaded in a defence. We know this and we tailor our approach accordingly. But similarly, I, can't, I can see no reason why we wouldn't do the same with knowledge about remote trials. We can develop our strategies to suit the courts. In fact, I, th I think there are benefits to be had from remote trials. And despite the evidence so far, they, they must get cheaper and easier as we get used to them. Um, there's also going to be less downtime for counsel and for solicitors as the trials can be run from home or the office rather than after a four hour drive up the M1. Um, and there's there's less risk of a trial being vacated because there isn't a big enough room to fit everybody in. And actually, if you take the idea to its logical conclusion, I can see a future where all fast track cases are remote by default. The cases get allocated to specialist courts rather than geographically. Imagine a disease court, the time and confusion that could be saved at trial by not having to explain the intricacies of a Coles calculation to a family judge is potentially significant. Uh, that's interesting, Oliver. Um, certainly the final point you make, and, and that's a, a consequence I, I had not thought of. If remote trials are here to stay, and I think we're all agreed they are, then it'll be certainly interesting to see how things play out. For, for us as lawyers, I think having successfully navigated the logistics of, of remote trials, then the challenge now will be to, to make sure that remote hearings, as opposed to uh, hearings in person, don't disadvantage outcomes for the client which is to say that if we think that a remote trial is not necessarily going to lend itself to the outcome we're looking for, that we look to object to it being heard remotely, or alternatively, we, we make sure our evidence or our cross-examination of the, of the claimant's evidence is tailored appropriately. Certainly lots to think about, and it'll be interesting to see what, what further studies to supplement the early studies of the Civil Justice Council have to say about how participants are finding remote hearings presently, as well, of course, as seeing what, what further changes are coming down the line to, to the format of hearings. Uh, all no doubt the subject of, of another podcast. Um, but for now, thank you both for your time today and for your insight and recollection of your experiences. And of course, for those of you that have downloaded the podcast, thank you very much for taking the time to do so. And thank you for listening. And if you have any questions arising out of what we've discussed today, please do not hesitate to make contact.